millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Brooko Mode. In this episode, I was joined by Court Sonnenberg a Perth musician and mental health support worker. From being homeless and overusing drugs and alcohol, coupled with anxiety, psychosis and depression, she has turned her life around massively, travelled the world and found a happier and healthier lifestyle. We explore parts of her journey, uncover why taking action is so important, how the mental health field can improve, how to give yourself love but also not tolerate poor standards, the illusion of perfection on social media, how reaching out for help is not a one-size-fits-all model, and much, much more. If you do like these episodes, please remember to give Brooko Mode a five-star rating. It will go a long way. You can do this by clicking the three bars on my profile and pressing Rate Show. Thank you and enjoy. I didn't really know how to tell people what was happening. You've got to start living life. It's not going to last forever. If you've got something nice to say, say it. It's such a negative world. Why don't we start changing the way we talk? No, I've never been scared of dying. It's not judgment for curiosity. If you love yourself and the important people in your life love you, then that's all you really need. Why do difficult times make us grow so much more? I think that... um when you're in difficult situations, it puts you like puts you back against a wall. You go into like survival mode, and I think while that can be so scary, being put into survival mode, being put into fight or flight, you like learn and you break boundaries that you didn't know you kind of had before as well. Um, and you, when your back's against a wall, I feel like you're putting yourself in a position where you're so vulnerable and you're so at risk, and whatever you do from there on out. Whether it works or not, whether your plan works, whether your decision-making goes right or wrong, you're growing from experience. Like You learn from the mistakes you make. You learn from the wins. You, le- you learn from the losses. There is no like um, linear progress from that, but I think when you're making these decisions with your back against a wall, you learn so much about yourself. So it like forces you to take action. Yeah, big time. Because I feel like a lot of people are stuck in the middle ground, like – where things are okay, but they really have this vision that they want to be better, 
And so how many stories do you see of people like who are successful who just had sayings like trauma or some hard experience and it really forced them to take action and then positive things flowed from there? I think you see that so often. If people are vulnerable enough to talk about it. Yeah. But that's the other side is like the vulnerability to speak up about it. Yeah, it it's hard. But when you're in the moment, it feels like a lifetime, I'm guessing, because mm. Because a lot of the time you hear these people talk about things like, even me, when when I talk about this stuff, I haven't gone through as hard times as you hear, like people going through struggles. And I guess sometimes it's almost like easy for me to sit here and say like, do this, do this. But when you're in the moment, it must feel like a really long time and really hard to get out of and feel really helpless. Is that sort of the feelings you've got from your experiences? Absolutely. Like there's nothing... I don't know. I think my view on it is like there's nothing worse than the sympathy and there's nothing worse than the helplessness. And either way, you're going to get it. Like when I've gone through hard things, time slows down in the hardest bits. And and so much of our happiness is, is feels really fleeting. Like, But the hard times t- feel like forever and maybe that's why people feel like things are never going to change. Yeah. So I guess what were some of your hardest times and do you remember can you remember exactly how you felt the thoughts you had? Because I, the hardest times I've had, I find it really difficult to go back in time and think about what position I was in. And it's almost that I, I probably should do it a bit more to realise how far I have come and get sort of more contentment out of where I am right now instead of always being like obsessed with wanting to be more, like be a better person when it's like, well, fuck, I'm actually pretty happy with who I am right now. Yeah. I think it's hard to track your progress because as you said, like, it can be so hard to like reflect back and a lot of the time if things are trauma related or whatnot like your brain can block that out because it's like a coping mechanism it's I think for me when I was going through homelessness like there was also it wasn't just that like there was drug use there was mental health issues there was psychosis so like looking back on all of that time for me personally like is so um I guess like foggy if you will but regardless of what you can remember and what you can't remember about your trauma, I think it is important to even like, dude, even going through photos sometimes and seeing like that version of yourself from like years ago or whatever to now, that is such a game changer. That's definitely, I think, such a good way to like track your progress. And I think it's important that we all do it as well. Yeah, I see, because I hardly drink now and I see videos of me going crazy when I'm drinking. I'm like, like that's not really who I want to be. Or even photos of me when like I was really skinny and like I, I I like being strong and, and working in the gym yeah it's that's the, probably the best thing about photos and, and I know people get like oh don't like everyone takes photos and videos and we're a bit obsessed with that but that is probably one of the best bits that allows us to capture a period of time and truly like reflect on how far you've actually come mm. um so I guess with those experiences um so it does become a bit foggy. Like, what about those labels? Like, were you diagnosed with those labels and have you found it, I guess, through that whole experience to sort of detach from that? Because when you get labelled, does it sort of beca- you feel like that becomes who you are? Big time. Big time. I think there's a few different things you could touch on with this as well. Like, when, when I first started experiencing homelessness – and word was getting around that I was hanging around with older people that were into drugs and I was getting into drugs. I became like that like statistic, like that that one, like that example, if you will, 
where it was like, if you're not careful, you're going to end up like her. Like, mm. and that hurt so much because I didn't understand, like, I was just doing what I had to do. I thought in like at the time I was like, I'm staying alive. I'm doing what I need to do. In the moment, like, you know, getting high every day, that was helping. And like, I can see looking back that, no, that's probably not the smartest thing, but being labelled and having people just have that assumption of you all the time is like one of the hardest parts, I think, about going through those things. I didn't, being homeless, like obviously it affected me, but it was just the thought that everyone had their opinion and everyone was so quick to judge. And that's the case with a lot of these situations, with mental health, with whatever it is you're going through. People are quick to judge, but they take their sweet time offering support. So having like a label on you can impact you so much more than any of the things you're actually going through so the shame so like you were almost comfortable with those times because you're so in it but it was the fact that the perception other people have had you sort of did that was that the turning point maybe motivating you like geez I don't if people think this of me is this like maybe this is me Mm. no absolutely I think my turning point was when I realized like I didn't want to be a statistic I didn't want to be that example anymore I wanted to prove not only to myself but to everyone as well. I was so desperate and I think, you know, that might not have been the best uh, motivator but it was. I just wanted to prove everyone wrong. I was like, I'm not going to be part of this story Um, and I think that kicked in for me and the tough love kicked in. I stopped playing the victim. I stopped blaming blaming mum and dad. I stopped blaming the people I was around. I took responsibility for my life and was like, if you want to get anywhere, if you want to be alive in five years, you need to sort it out. How do you get out of victim mode? Is there anything you do or is it just your self-talk? I think you just, I don't know. I think for me, I just, this anger, like had so much built up anger and I was so sick of the rumours and I was sick of the opinions. And I think for me that just turned into a breaking point. And I think that can look different for everyone. But um, I don't know. I just got sick of it. At a point you kind of just come to realise like that's not working. I, I heard it saying, do you think this resonates? Someone said, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, dude, big time. Big time. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting feeling like that. And I think, you know, whatever your motives are, whether they, you know, personally are beneficial or not, I think whatever it takes for you to get out of that situation and grow and rebuild, more importantly, it's the biggest thing. And removing that stigma Mm. as well, because there's a massive stigma around, obviously, like mental health, homelessness especially. Like, it's just insane. I don't think there's anything wrong with being motivated initially by insecurity and the fear of being that perception because I think f- how you get from zero to 50 is different from how you get from 50 to 100. But to take action, the action's more important than the intention. Mm. So just take like improving your mental state and getting out of that is so much more important than the reasons why. But for the, for the long period, for the rest of your life, you don't want to be living your life in fear. But sometimes to take that initial action, it has to come from that. And I genuinely don't think there's anything wrong with that because you need to start. I think it's more so like as long as you pull yourself out of that mindset eventually. I think the only issue is is when you get stuck in like motivating yourself from fear and motivating yourself from insecurities. Understandable if that's like your starting point, but I think part of your growth is to move your motivations into something else as well. Yeah, I think I can definitely resonate with that in the probably in the – like I probably started from like more of that – mindset and then it's it's sort of becoming content with the version I am now but sort of like getting that balance of growth but also a lot of comfort in who you are um 
I guess how how do these experiences so when you do go through all these really difficult times, I feel like it can provide really good perspective in terms of like you can almost when you do get out of that, you can almost appreciate so much the simple things in life because you can you have that perspective of like when it was really difficult. But what we're so privileged in modern society, including myself, being given so much, it's almost you keep thinking more, more, more. But it, because you have that comparison, that sort of perspective all the time just makes you, does that make you really appreciate like the simple beauties in life? Dude, big time. I think, and this is something I was actually talking about the other day with someone, which I think is really important to touch on, especially in the homelessness factor of life as well, because obviously when you're experiencing homeless, you don't have much. You've got what's on your bare back. And people are so quick to, as I said before, they're quick to judge and can be scared or can be, you know, uh, hesitant to offer support and help and whatnot. Or maybe they just don't know how, which is absolutely fine too. But, like, I think we need to start unpacking that because, um, say, for example, like, a lot of the stigma around that is, oh, people like, oh, someone's experiencing homelessness, they're lazy, they don't want to get a job. And so it's like, okay... Well, let's unpack that then. If you want someone, say like someone has got a job interview, great, great start. Okay, you want them to like dress clean. You want them to like dress nicely. Okay, so most of the time they've got um, like the clothes on their backs, like all they have. Okay, so then like, I don't know, from there you could be like, oh, okay, well, they could at least smell clean. And it's like, well, where are they going to shower? Like, it's like all of these things where the idea behind – um. We take it for, are you saying like we take it for granted what we can already do? Yeah, like I think that's, sorry, I'm really taking the long route there. Yeah. Like we forget that like not only are we grateful for the things that we have material-wise, but we're, we should be grateful for like the positions that we're in. For example, like we are in a position where we have a shower, we have clean clothes, we can go to a job interview. Mm. Someone without those things can't. Like there's always a step behind step one. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so it's like... We're, we're, we're 10 steps ahead, so we sort of forget how to help people from step one to five because yeah. we're, we're too many steps ahead. We've, we've forgotten what it was like. To, we, we prob- a lot of us haven't, I haven't even been in that situation. So, how, so, it's, 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 so I guess with your work now, you help people, you're a mental health support worker. So I guess does having those experiences make it – does that make you better at what you do because you're, you've been there, you've experienced it, you know – what it was like and how to, I guess, be more in that level field with them? I think so. I think having that lived experience helps helps me relate to, especially because I work with young people, so it helps me relate to them because I went through it, I was young too, I get it. And I'm, I think you can be a mental health or a homelessness worker. So you can be any of those things without that experience, but I think it helps a lot more when you have that because I know for a fact that when I was younger and I was talking to people for support, it was so obvious who, you know, had potentially been through hardship and who was just reading from, like, the same book as the other one. Mm. And I think pros and cons for all around there. But I think it, you know, I'll use it to my advantage that there is that experience behind me and I can relate to other young people. Um, and I think a lot of the time that they've switched on. They can tell if you've been through shit or not. Like, I think they respect you for it too. So, you know, you've got to use those kinds of things to your advantage at the end of the day. When did you get into this work? Tell us a bit more about that journey. Um, I started I started in homelessness sector, actually, two years ago um, in a crisis accommodation. It's got, like, six young people. There's, like, a female wing and a male wing. Um, 
and that was after studying. I just did like full time six months and I got my cert four at TAFE in youth work and then I did my prac at this accommodation and then I got a job. Kind of messed the storyline up yeah. there, but <laughs> that's the storyline. And um, started working there just casual. Um, I started doing night shifts there, did like afternoons and whatnot. Really got a feel for um, crisis accommodation especially because it was interesting being in a service like that because I'd lived in a service like that before. So being on the other end of that spectrum was kind of like weird at the start. Mm. Like it was, yeah, because I just kept on thinking like, okay, well, if if slash when I was this young person, how would I have wanted someone else to respond to that? I think that's the best way to help someone. Well, I, I feel like the, be- the with anything in life, it's like even if you're selling something, it's like what would I want as a consumer? Or if I'm helping people, like what would I want? Like – I don't think we invert that enough and that's how we can really, you know, communicate the message across. Absolutely. Did you feel sort of, I don't know the word, but like helping people when you're in their situation, what, what, what emotions did you have? Was it like, not embarrassment, but like, what's the word? Like, I don't know how to, it's your emotions. <laughs> um, working so closely with people that were, that are experiencing what I went through has it's like sometimes it's so hard to put into words too because it changes. Like certain situations, you're just sitting there going like, oh my gosh, like I just, like I know how you feel and I want to tell you that like I've been through it and I've come out the other side too. And like, because some people really don't see, they don't think that anyone else has been through that and they can't understand how there's another side. Mm. And so sometimes you're more like, oh, you know, I just, I want you to know that like it's going to be okay. But then in other times it's hard because this young person and there's, been so many times where I'm looking at someone like you remind me so much of me because yeah. you're so stubborn <laughs> like, yeah. you don't like you're not quite at that point yet when you realize like you need to shift up so I think it's just working I'd, I'm trying to find the words here I think you know what actually dead set though I've realized the feelings that I get from my job I don't think I can put into words a lot of the time because it changes one minute it'd be like okay I'm hopeful for them one minute I'm sad because I've heard that things haven't worked out well in their shoes or your emotions go up and down working in this industry because, you know, you've got one person that's doing great and then the one that you've just been working so closely with for the past two months has left the house and no one knows where they are or their mental health's gone down or whatever. Like, your emotions move around a lot if you let them. So because those people remind you of of you, does it almost feel like the sad feelings you get are because it's almost like you picturing you back in that time and it's like it almost brings you back to that time. And like when they go through a setback, it just feels like you went through a setback. To a degree. I think it is important in our work to try and maintain some form of separation in that sense. Otherwise you just get burnt out and like trying to leave work at work, which can be so hard, but I think it is important to do. But I think, yeah, like it definitely like there are certain situations where someone's explaining something that they've gone through or currently are going through. And it's hard to just stay in, like, a working mode. Like, I kind of just want to be like, oh, my gosh, let me just give you a hug. Like, I just want to help you. And, you know, you can't – you can't – well, you can obviously offer to help, but you can't hug them. But it's weird. I feel like this, like, nurturing mother figure when I'm at work. (laughs) It's so odd. But it's hard to see people like that. I think regardless of whether you've been through it or not, I don't think you want to see anyone in those situations. And the stories you hear are just sometimes, like – could be a bloody movie like it's so full on yeah how, um, how do you manage 
giving them sympathy and that pity versus like, you know, your life changed when you took action. It's like, how do you sympathize with them and, and, you know, or empathize and be like, you know, I've, I've been there. I know what it's like, but also have been out the other end. I know how things can get better. Like you really do need to take action and like sort of take the steps yourself. I think, well, yeah, number one for me is I don't show sympathy. Empathy is the way to go for that one because I know what it's like. And you just feel so little when people are like, oh, like... I was talking about this with my mate the other day, actually. It was just like sympathy. Like, you don't want that. And I think you can see that when a worker is showing you, like, empathy and they understand and they, like, are caring rather than just, like, belittling you, belittling you mm. um, which I think is important. But I'm all for tough love. And I don't know if that's just because that's what... I did with myself and it worked, I don't know, but I'm all for it and I don't sugarcoat things. Um, I think there's ways to approach certain situations um, and you shouldn't give tough love to someone that you don't think can handle it, but I'm all for it. And I, so far in my career, like I've seen it work pretty bloody well. I think that's the thing with young people is that they're so much more switched on than I think a lot of people give credit for and they can see right through you. Like if you're giving them some... Can I swear on here? Yeah. If you're giving them some bullshit answer, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're not going to respect you. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to do the exact opposite of what you said. But if you sit down with them and you treat them like an adult, which when you're homeless, you know, you're doing everything for yourself. And I would put that on a pedestal, to be honest, like to a degree. They're looking after themselves. They're feeding themselves when other people their age aren't. So you treat them with the respect that you want them to treat you with and you just go, look, here are your options this is what's going to happen if, you know, you follow this route, this route, and this is what's going to happen if you follow this one. You have to take your pick. And obviously, like, different young people, different circumstances, different situations, everything's unique to each person, and you obviously work through that as it comes up. But I think, you know, if you show them the things that could potentially happen, the positives of what could happen, yeah, great, motivate them towards that. And I'm not saying scare them, but I'm saying let them know what the other side looks like too Mm. because there does need to be an understanding of like this is going to go one of two ways and it's all in your power to choose which way it goes but this is where we want to aim and that's what we want to leave behind. And I think just being so transparent with someone, you know, works wonders. Yeah. Really, it's as simple as that. I guess we always look at people in unfortunate situations and we we just look at what they don't have. Mm. But I feel like there's, even though they're in difficult times, there's so much they do have, like so much independence. Like like you said, survival mode, they're fending off for themselves. They've, they're building this resilience in the difficult times that they don't even realise. And when things do get better, they're just so so much stronger. But it's I guess it's that difficulty of getting out of the real tough times that sort of makes that character. Um. I guess when you're in the difficult times, how do you also actually how how do you educate people around this stuff? Like, what's are you giving them information like mindset stuff, or is it more just like human to human conversation? Like I, I don't know how just you we would speak to someone like this. Like, like obviously I do all the stuff I do, but it's probably for people who are a lot more privileged and trying to get people out of like the mediocrity of a quite a good life. Mm. So I guess what's the like the dialogue like, like specific examples of like how you communicate to people and like do you provide them information with like 
like I like to give people like more, like try and get into like the science of it or like inspiration stuff. But like I guess when it's more like from the lower end, how's how do you communicate basically to them? To the people experience, like to the young people. Yeah, like how do you get that balance right of like educating them with certain things? I just how do you even how do you speak to them? Speak to them like I speak to you, like just normally. I think. Um, again, as I said before, it's, like, unique to each young person and depending on, like, what information they need. But, um, like, for example, at the crisis accommodation, uh, if someone calls up looking for a bed and we don't have one, we have, like, a list of, like, other services or, like, a there's, like, a crisis line kind of thing that you can call and they can tell you. So it, you give information to each young person as they need it. If they need information on TAFE courses, you sit down with them and go through, you know, North Metro, South Metro TAFE, whatever... If they are looking for long-term accommodation, you'll go through those options with them. I think you can't bombard someone with like all this information on how to like how to better their life because it's like trying to like shove a bunch of food in your mouth. Like you're gonna choke. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a boatload of information coming at you, you get overwhelmed. Like you're gonna choke. Same kind of I guess analogy. Same yeah. deal. Um, I think it's just important to sit down with each young person as they approach or as you feel, you know, you feel like, oh, you've seen something pop up and you go, oh, this would be great for this person. Just sitting down and be like, are you interested? Yes. Okay, great. Let's go through the information here. Great. Okay. Where do we go? I think just, you know, talking to them normally and being like, these are your options, these are the facts, this is what we found. That's what you got to do. I guess with your experiences, how do you embrace difficult times without distracting yourself? Because I think... That's probably the number one thing I've learned is like I grow the most when I fully feel the emotions and actually be present with it instead of like off in fantasy land or on my phone or distracting myself. And I guess how does it play out in people or your life or how has it played out in your life, I guess, that whole concept of being present with where you are versus like thinking about where you want to get to? I think it can be so hard to be present. Like a lot of the, no, blah, 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 a lot of the time, <laughs> that was like a mini stroke. <laughs> hey? um, I think it can be hard to be present, um, especially when you are going through things because obviously the last place you want to be is like in the middle of your thoughts or your current situation. I don't know, I guess, you know, you can sit in like a fantasy land that you've created in your head to escape what's actually happening, whether that be doom scrolling, whether that be, you know, Netflix for five hours, like whatever, which is all fine in moderation, might I add. But then at some point you're going to snap back into reality and be like, oh, shit, this is where I actually am. And I, I just feel like that's not a nice feeling when you kind of come back to terms with, like, where you are in the world because you've just been so, like, distant from it, if that makes sense. Like, the more you try and distract yourself the worse it feels when you come back to a realisation of like, actually, this is my life. This is where I live more than I'm, like, when I'm over there kind of deal, mentally, mm. if that makes sense. And I just think, you know, you need to be uncomfortable because if you keep going and, like, not you're not present with yourself, you're not present with the people around you, not only do you miss things in your life or, like, miss, um, I guess, like, moments where you can make a change like you're missing other people's uh, I guess like parts of other people's worlds too like I just think there's so much more behind not being present in yourself that affects the people around you as well it affects your progress it affects you know 
people near you that are like, oh, you know, they're not the same as they were a year ago because they're just, they're out of touch, they're always on their phone, they're this, they're that. And I think being distracted for a short period of time, fine, ease the blow, but it's not going to help, it's not going to help you grow, it's not going to help you move forward with life, you know. Yeah, how do, in this space we're talking about, how do we accept ourselves without accepting the situation and wanting to be better because I think it's a fine line between accepting who you are and then being like okay but I don't really want to be like this so like acceptance is basically like you know I'm not happy but this is how things are I'm being having those honest conversations but also having the honest conversation like I do not want to be where I am right now like future thinking like I want to you have this vision of who you want to be so I feel like there's a delicate balance between acceptance of who you are versus motivation to be different. I'm just interested in your take on like how do you find contentment with who you are versus that st- striving to be better or having that internal growth? Um, I think like what we talked about before, like seeing your um, like before and after, if you will, like seeing how you were years ago compared to how you are now. I think it's hard to measure growth um, without kind of like I think about the people that were in my life back then, for example. There's probably like one or two that are still in it now. But even when you talk to people that know your before and after kind of deal and your growth, they can even remind you. Like if you can't remember kind of thing, mm. they can be like, oh, dude, do you remember when we did this and like you did this and rah, rah, rah. And you're like, far out. Like I never would do that now. Like I'd never respond that way or whatever I don't know I think I think you've got to really sit down with yourself at the end of the day and look at who you were and look at who you are now and whether or not that's been like a massive change whether or not that's you know you've lost 10 kilos or you've gotten sober or you found a stable place to live or you've got new friends whatever it could be like sitting down and looking at yourself in the mirror and going like I'm proud of you like you got out of bed you made that change big small whatever I think it's so important to like validate yourself and your self-growth because it's not linear either. Mm. And I think it's easy for us to um, forget to, I guess, just appreciate ourselves. And like when you're growing and then something happens and it's a few steps back and it's easy for you to be like, far out, like I'm not getting anywhere or Mm. nothing's changing. And again, that like victimised mindset, I guess, to a degree. Um, But then just appreciating yourself because, like, you, you give props to your friends. Like, when your mates are doing really well, you're like, dude, I'm so proud of you. Like, that's sick. Like, you know, good shit, man. But when you do better things, like, how often do you actually sit down and look at yourself and go, like, you've done good, you know? I think we don't give ourselves enough credit at the end of the day. So many failures or mistakes in this world, but we only focus on the ones that we make. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's an obsession with being the victim in, in our sometimes in our lives? Like we've, we've gone through so much of our life or so many times where we blame other people and the world's against us. It becomes sort of a habitual response to whatever's happening. Dude, absolutely. Because I think like I can even be totally honest about this. Like I was the same. Like when I was younger because I felt that I didn't get any attention from my folks. I was homeless like wasn't seeing them so because I think I craved that just attention that I don't know someone to ask how my day was kind of deal for a few years there it was just so much like woe is me like every time I'd talk to someone it was like oh trauma dump like 
And I think that's so common for people to do for whatever reason because you're simply just craving someone to look at you and someone to listen to you. And I think it's a dangerous thing because you get caught up in it and you need to kind of pull yourself out of that at some point. But I also think to a degree it's kind of normal, Um, which is weird. But I think when your brain's craving that love, when it's craving that attention, that safety more so, I think, people will play the victim card a lot until they feel that they've got that. And then, you know, you just hope that obviously they pull themselves out and go, okay, like, it's time to grow up, it's time to move on from my traumas. You've got to stop using that as like a card and start using it as like a motivation, if you will, to move past that. But I think it is really common for people to play the victim card, which sometimes it's just coping mechanism at the end of the day defense mechanism i sometimes i've had to catch myself doing it and like you actually have to call yourself out because it it also takes so much power away from you if you if if you blame someone else for a situation you're in well, what does that mean it means you're you can't you, you can't be the one to get you out of it it's essentially what you're saying yeah so i think that agency that's probably the i've seen this about this before but going through difficult times things getting a bit better you sort of, I think that can give you agency. Like you're like, fuck yeah, like I'm the one who got me out of this. I'm the one who has control over my life. I think a lot of people get stuck in the middle ground and they almost feel like their their life's just being they have to do certain things. They can't do what they really want to do. So I guess how have you found your agency? You travelled overseas for like three three months and I guess that's like a a big like fuck you to the I have to do this. So you just went and did what you wanted to do. So how does how have all your experiences given you sort of that control back and you're like, yeah, I actually control what I want to do with my life? Um, I think because from such a young age, I had to be independent. I learned how to look after myself. I learned how to remove myself from unsafe situations. You know, I learned how to be on my own. Not that I was very good at it for quite a while, but you get there. And, like, I was chatting to someone the other day about this and he was like, oh, if you could change everything that happened to you, would you? And, like, that stumped me because if you actually sit and think about that for a second, like, you are not only the good parts of your... uh, You're not your trauma, but it plays such a part in who you are, good and bad. And I think for me, like, independence was just the biggest part I got out of what happened. And, like, even from 17, like, I got my licence and I packed up and left. I left Perth because I wasn't getting anywhere here so I think for me personally like independence just came with it it was part of the package and um I didn't want to be part of the rat race I didn't want to and I have so much respect for people that grind and you know that by like 22 they've got their own house or like whatever but for me personally like I couldn't go to university I couldn't um work a full-time job it just never sat right with me so I think traveling was just yeah like and I think it was also like my treat to myself, just going like, you know what, you made it through the other side of this. Mm, love that. Go have fun in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How important is it to, I guess, when you remove yourself physically from the space, it, like I think that's the best thing about travel is you, we've got all this habitual conditioning, like we go here and it brings back all these memories, but you go to a new foreign place and it's almost like a fresh restart. Like you, have, you don't have experiences in this place. Like you almost get to start again, get a new perspective and it just gives you an opportunity to find who you actually are. Yeah, I think having the space, what I found was like, you don't know anyone, you know, 
you're leaving this town or whatever it is in a few days, you can do, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone, but like you can do whatever you want to do. You can be a whole different version of yourself. You can explore. Like you can do whatever you want. I think that was like the most freeing part was that I went away and I crawled back out of my shell. Like just was, I don't know, like you don't have that boundary anymore because you're not like, oh, you know, old mate Greg's going to see me. He's going to walk around the corner. Or like, oh, I'm scared to try this out because everyone I know is going to see it. Everyone I know is going to be there. So I think when you're travelling, you know, not only do you have like the fun part of like, okay, well, this is a new place and it's all exciting and, you know, the beer's cheap, but like you get to try out different versions of yourself and crawl out of your shell a bit. And I think it's like one of the best versions of myself I've ever seen when I was travelling. Why are we so scared to do it here when we still have the perfect capability to do it. I think because especially being, you know, somewhere like Perth, it's like a big country town. Everyone knows everyone. I think we're scared of other people's opinions and it's I think something that we all know deep down. It's like, oh I'm scared to do this because I don't know like I don't want my mates to see me fail. I don't want my family to see me fail. Like I don't want to know that people are talking about it. And I think that's just our fear and I think it's good that we're starting to have the conversation like as a community that it doesn't matter. We're on a floating rock. Like, Do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Who cares what anyone thinks? And I think it's great that we're having those conversations and people are starting to like just go, yeah, let's just do it. But um, And I think at the end of the day, like that's that anxiety of being judged by others by not meeting an expectation like can really hold us down. Mm. Like I absolutely fall victim to that with my music. Yeah get so scared of playing a gig because I'm like what if I choke in front of everyone I know like everyone's got their own version of that and I think until you I guess just kind of break that idea and just go fuck it I'm just going to do it it's always going to be something that holds you back when did you start music um well since I was a kid really there's like videos of me when I was like a child like banging on dad's keyboard singing like random words but like properly I think my like actual like uh, not career sorry my journey with music started in year seven I got a guitar and I really started like putting all my thoughts and whatnot into like songs and then it just steamlined through that really is it sort of like therapeutic outlet like Mm. really I feel like it's a massive thing if you look at any lyrics of songs fucking powerful big time like I, I I've been listening to songs and probably focusing more on the words recently. I'm like, holy shit. Some of these songs, like, just so powerful. But we, we, I'm, you're singing these powerful things. You don't even realise it. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the time we listen to, like, the music, yeah, more so than the lyrics. Like, you could be listening to this, like, super happy song and, like, it's not until you stop and, like, just read the lyrics without music and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, um, Hey Ya by Outkast. Is that... It's like... That- Hey? Is that de- like a depressing thing? No, but he just goes like, like y'all don't want to hear me, you want to dance. And it's just because he's actually like talking about this like serious situation because the song's fun. No one's uh. actually listening to like the situation and that's when he says that, but everyone's like, oh, y'all don't want to hear me. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, there's just so much in it uh, behind, I guess, the music. How, how are you, you going to free yourself from that fear? Um, well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to um, play a gig before the end of the year, I've kind of made that like my pre-New Year resolution. Before the year's done, do this. If you don't like it, you can, you can start next year and not have to revisit it. And if you do like it, you can keep going. Because I've done it before. Like I've 
played gigs before. I busked for a living for a while. Like, I've done it. So there's actually just no reason for me to, like, pull back from that. How do you frame success and failure then? Because if I was you, I would be framing failure as not trying the gig. Like, if you do the gig, regardless of the performative aspect of it and how people receive it, that should be categorised as a success. Because then you're sort of detaching how you feel about yourself based on things you can't control to some degree, like the how it's received and how you perform. And you just allow yourself, simply by trying, you've done well. How do you frame success or failure with music or do you even think about it like that? Um, I didn't until I realised that I was putting like an unnecessary pressure on myself. And I think like bang on, you're – like even just trying it should be success. Like whether or not it goes well or not, like success, you tried it. And I am so well, I'm so self-aware of this where it's like I'm still in that mindset of like, no, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I tried. It matters how it goes. And I know that's something that I'm trying to work on at the moment is like, because that's just falling back into the whole like, um, I want people to like it. Mm. I want, you know, I want people to be impressed. Rah, rah, rah. And it's such like a, it's music, like. I get caught in that mindset with footy going to West Perth, like, you know, a waffle system. Like there's one part of me that's like, fuck yeah, I'm giving it a crack. And like, I'm proud of me for that. But then there's the one aspect where it's like, just, I really want to impress, do well, and then get this like external validation. Like, oh, you are really good at football. Like, but why am I outsourcing my self-worth to other people? Footy's fun. It's meant to be fun. I love working hard. I love the grind. I love being the best of myself. Yet, why let an external dictate? And it's natural. And I'm sure as it gets closer, you get involved, you actually get into the season. Because right now, intellectually, it's really easy for me to say like these things. But then when you're in the environment, you're around the other people, you're having these conversations, like that's when it's fucking hard. It's easy to like sit and talk about it, but it's when your emotions get involved and you're in the situation, you just revert back to outsourcing your worth to other people and external things. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. And I think it's just like as as a like society, as a community, whatever, we all fall victim to it. And it's so it is like it's so easy for us to be like, Oh yeah, don't do that. But like we all do. Mm. Even when you work on it, it's gonna slip every now and then. And I think that's the thing with like mental health talk and self worth talk especially, is like we forget that yeah, you can work on that, you can work on that, but like you're always gonna have a slip up. You're always gonna have something going on in the back. And that's fine if you monitor that and keep it like short and sweet like deal with it as it comes up but I think we do need to be realistic when we have these conversations that it's so normal to seek that extra validation it's normal to put yourself under more pressure than necessary I think it's just about learning for like looking and learning about ways to you know uh, I guess just lessen that load a bit for sure I was trying to treat it as like because I to some extent I don't think there's anything wrong with taking joy from external things like 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 i should be take a little bit of satisfaction that people are like might compliment me in some way but it it can't dictate me like there's i I shouldn't need to outsource all my self-worth but it can be a motivator so it is really delicate that balance between um you know just doing it for you but then being realistic and being like well like you're always going to revert back to what people think and 
we're in this we're in that that sort of game within Perth that you sort of sometimes don't even realize you're playing mm. which can be which can be hard to get out of but i think the mentality i have is with setbacks and slipping back to that people pleasing aspect is is like one step back two steps forward real simple mindset to have like i know that there's going to be times where like you're like fuck like i had a bad game it's always the setbacks that i reckon it's the hard times that make you revert back to that yeah. So, like, when I have a bad game of footy, that's when I really define myself more from a game. Like, I'll be like, fuck, like, I'm no good. But, like, when you're doing really well, you sort of don't think about it because you feel that sort of – you're like, fuck, yeah, I played well. But when you're doing shit, that's when it comes to you the most. And that's when you start – but it's that's when you most – you grow most from your most difficult times. And that's when you have to be – internally in your head like at your best but that's when it's the hardest to be mentally like have that accountability to yourself and that I guess that's where I want to that's basically the vision of I want to be I want to be like when I'm in the difficult time I want to be the person I want to be because it's so I always you flip back to your bad habits your bad thinking styles your, your insecurities your traumas that's when you revert back in the difficult times and it's sort of learning to get past that and and be like those times don't define you. They don't control you. Yet our past dictates so much of us, even though it's happened already. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? The past defines us so much, but it actually has no physical control of us. Yeah, exactly. Your past is like, yeah. Letting that control you. Hang on, let me reword that. Your past controls you as much as you let it, really. Mm. Like... Glass ceiling. Know. It's the beliefs that our past give to us about ourselves. I think. Mm. Like, it's that proof. Like, if I play X amount of good games, it's creating that proof, that inner belief. That I'm like, yeah, I can do it. Like, here's the evidence. Even though it's happened. It, it, it's actually that game has no influence on if I – or it, it actually – like, having a good game last week isn't going to make me have a good game this week. In the physical sense. But in the mind, it influences how much belief I have about how much I can get out of that. But I want to be in a state where, like, I have a bad game, but that doesn't mean... that. So the next week, I'm I'm like, it doesn't affect me in that negative way. Because we always look at the positive. We're like, like building confidence, good games, feeling good. But I think resilience is having that setback and it doesn't have that negative influence like the positive side does when you do play well. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Some other points. Do you have any advice to people that are struggling? Like, you've been in through some difficult times. So, what is, I guess we've been talking about it, but what are some of the biggest things that you've learned that can help you get out of this? We've talked about having the difficult conversations with yourself. What about reaching out to other people? Have you, Did you find that hard to do, not have, being super close with your parents? Like, did you have friends you could speak to? Um, as time went on, I did at the start because, as I said before, like I was the bad example. I was the, you know, don't go near her. So I guess it was harder at the start because I was younger. I was like 13 when, it first, when I first started experiencing homelessness, touching drugs, all that. Um, and I didn't really, un- like I didn't know about services. I didn't know, like I was new to this world too. I didn't really understand services. I wasn't going to school. Um, I had a few friends but it kind of just got to the point where, like, their families didn't want their kids hanging around. Mm. So that first, like, I think, you know, like 
two years was pretty hard because I just didn't um, I didn't know where to start and I don't think I'd really reached a point where I'd thought anything was wrong yet either. And then as I got a bit older and, you know, I'd kind of been through the ringer a little bit when it came to um, like being in like the psych ward, being forced to talk to people, not wanting to talk to people. Like we all know it's true, but like you just got to keep reiterating it. Like you can only help someone that wants to be helped. And I hadn't reached that point yet. Um, How do you reach that point? Does it just happen naturally or did I just like I find it hard to empathise with the word we're using because I haven't really probably gone through that. I don't know. Like, I think it's different for everyone, you know? You just, for me personally, like, yeah, I was sick of being the example, so I snapped out of it. Mm. But it could just, everyone's so different. Everyone's stories are so different. You've got, you know, we were talking about motivators before. Like, everyone's got their own motivations. I think it's so it's so hard to, like, um, what's the word like I'm looking for here? You can't put, like, a widespread blanket on all of those kinds One of size things. fits all model. Yeah, exactly. That's what, yeah, that's way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I kind of forgot what the mm, I think that, was that. Sorry. No, nah, I think that's massive in the self-help world. It's, it's, I listened to a podcast by Chris Williamson and one of the things is mono thinking and it's like a where people try and there's all these demands for answers like in the mental health world, like, oh, how do we help people in this, this, this? And a lot of the time people just give one, like one explanation for it so that so sort of like the demand for answers outstrips the, their supply of answers. So let's say, for example, there's so many mental health problems and they're so different, right? But yet some people just want to narrow it down to, oh, just reach out and speak to someone. Mm. And it's like there are so many more problems than that one answer. Like I think that answer gets ha- hammered down, like reach out, reach out. For for a lot of problems, that isn't going to do much. I know that might not sound right, but it's true. There's so many, and I think that's really simplistic thinking and almost wishful thinking that, like, we can solve so many problems just by telling someone about it. And so many people go through these, like, mental wars by themselves. And I don't know, it's hard because reaching out can help, but... It, a lot of these people's problems aren't solved. I think they can get perspective from other people and sort of give them a guide, but that's not what's solving the problem, is it? No, it's not. And I think I'm glad that you've touched on this because I think as well, especially with our generation, like we can all give ourselves a big tap on the back because we've made mental health such an important topic that people are talking about it now. We are opening up to our mates and that is great. Like it doesn't, yeah, it's not a one-stop shop, but it is great. But I think, Working in the mental health industry, like one of the biggest things I've come to realise recently is that we've done so well and we've come so far and that's great, but we've hit a bit of a roadblock because I think we've gotten comfortable with our progress and I think that we're forgetting like the mental health industry support-wise, service-wise is great for middle class and up, but a lot of the time it's inaccessible for people on low income it can be like the waiting times can be ridiculous. And I think now like we are in a position, all of us, to keep this conversation going to improve the industry. And this could be like a hot topic for like some people who might not agree with this, but I think like we have so much further to go. It's great where we've gotten to, but we've stopped and we've gotten comfortable. 
and we're forgetting about the lower class people that are experiencing homelessness, for example, or people that are on low incomes, single mums, single like all that kind of thing, young people. Um, you know, I think we've got no. Actually, I don't want to throw a number out there because I'm not sure, but we have so much more progress to make in terms of mental health support and industry stuff. And so now that we have gotten to a point where, like, yeah, everyone's talking about it, everyone's opening up to their mates, rah, 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 that's great, let's keep moving forward. Because it's the same with, like, kind of what you're saying. Like, you meet a bit of a roadblock in the same conversation of, like, oh, open up to you, like, open up, open up. It's like, okay, then what? Mm. Like, you can talk to your mates, and I think it's important that we do let them know when we're going through tough times, but a lot a lot of the time, like, you know, they don't have mental health support training. They don't, and you can't blame them, but, like... You can only get so much from speaking about it to just like a mate over a beer, which is I think a good stepping point. But then you're like, you reach a roadblock because you go, okay, well I've done what everyone's told me to do. I've reached out, I've talked about it. That should be all good then. And I think we forget to finish the sentence of like, okay, and then what? Like, mm. you need to keep going. It's not a one-stop shot. Mm. It's I so like I'm massive on action. Like, I reckon I went through a period where I would almost. I probably read and listen to a bit less stuff than I do, like the information, but I actionize way more I do. Oh, sorry, than I used to. So like I would listen to way more and put less into action, but now I listen to a little less and try it more because the actions I take define me and make me grow so much more than that thinking about it. And uh, it's almost like I spoke about this this morning on the podcast, like it's that, like fantasy thinking, it comforts my ego like it used to. Like I would be in a difficult time and I would listen to all these inspirational, motivational things and it would bring me comfort because I'd be like, okay, yes, tomorrow I'll do that and then I'll be the person I want to be. But basically you're just it's just the comfort from the fact that you aren't really truly happy with who you are today. But if, you, if you're constantly thinking about like or getting this information about what you're going to do tomorrow – invariably you're never going to do anything today because you're constantly thinking of like this optimal way of tomorrow's actions but it just you just got to start somewhere and when you do start and you do take action I'm sure you can resonate you, you learn so much more you get so much perspective from the actions you take and then you might realize okay what I tried there doesn't really work but I tried this one thing and that helped me so much like because we talk about reaching out but like you might have tried a cold shower every morning it might be saying tiny like that and you're like fuck that, that like really kicked in my my routine to start the day like I felt really good about myself but I don't know we come up with all these we just got I think we've got to try more and try different things like you said because I think we we outsource so much of mental health to speak up it ain't weak to speak or all these messaging but I don't think enough people try enough things absolutely I think yeah we have just our whole I don't want to say branding but like for lack of a better word, like, our whole branding with, like, mental health and the conversation ends at, like, yeah, reach out. But then it's like, okay, well, where do you go from there? And I think, you know, I don't know. We have gotten a bit stagnant with it, to be totally honest. Mm. And I, I'm so, like, you. what you've just said is just bang on, really. Like, I can't really top that. I feel like I've been – it's like when all is said and done, more is said than done. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so, like, we talk a lot, but we need to do more, especially – like in the mental health field and providing help to the lower classes because there is so much access for the middle and upper class. What's the social media thing like? Because I'm big on social media, but like, do they even have access to that? How, how to, like, how, like, how would 
people like me help people like that without direct contact? Like, do they are they on social media at all? Some are, some aren't. Um, yeah, again, personals. To be honest, like, mm, I dare say most of the young people that I have and am currently working with have social media because it's just social media. Who doesn't have it? You know? Yeah. One of those things, like, if they've got a phone, they've got it, and most of them do. So I think that's another thing, like, where we really can start, like, upping our game because a lot of services now um, are starting to, like, use, you know, like, TikTok and Instagram, and they're doing, like, their funny, like, TikTok videos that it's, like, mm. oh, relatable to the youth or whoever. Which is great. Like, it's it's so lame, but it's so great, yeah. you know. <laughs> I think it's important that we keep that, like, funny kind of, like, lightheartedness about it to a degree where, like, it's getting that reach, it's getting that contact, it's getting young people engaged. Or just anyone, sorry. I keep saying young people. That's just what yeah. I, like, bounce to. But, like, yeah. people in general. I think social media can play uh, a big part in our continuing journey and our awareness more so as well. I think that's the main thing like that I see with young people is like I didn't know about these services before and I don't want you to be in the dark about them now mm. because social media like you know, pros and cons as we all know but we need to start using it positively with our mental health conversations and our mental health space um, because it's it can be so powerful. We know the power behind social media and so we need to start promoting services. We need to start talking like talking change and talking promotion. Mm. It is social media is a, is a highlight reel, but how do we showcase more difficulties without? Because you would people going to get scared of being like poor me, poor me. Because if people share vulnerable videos, it. Well, I don't. I genuinely, besides saying like, I even want to. I want to share a bit more of the, not negatives, like a bit more of the downs a bit. But how how do you do that without like, without creating that because you don't want not i don't want the perception of me that like i don't want that perception of me because that's not me like i don't want to be considered the always deep always serious like all my friends like wouldn't characterize me as that because that's not who i am but like i love having these conversations because it makes me a better person helping others etc etc but i think people don't i think it's that fear of judgment then but it's also like i don't think people are scared of posting it but people also don't know how to convey the difficult times as well like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. I think, I think it personally, like, more of us need to share our stories. More of us need to get uncomfortable, get vulnerable. But I think to avoid the whole kind of, like, yeah, woe is me, like, coming across that style, talk about your negatives. Talk about your past. Talk about your trauma. Tra- talk about your downfalls. And then follow that up with what came of that, the positives. What did you do? How did you get there? What's, like, what do you love about your life now? I think it's important that we share our shit. Absolutely. I'm all for, you know... Our stories make us who we are and I think, like, why wouldn't you share that with people? Because you never know what they're going through. They might be able to relate. Something you say could help someone else. And I think social media-wise, when you're doing that, ending it on a positive, what did you do? Are you happy now? Whatever. Like, one of those, like, Mm. thought-provoking questions where someone can explain them the positives. I think that's absolutely the way to do it. Before and after. Risk and reward. Mm. That style of thinking and social media presence, I think, can be really healthy. I feel like happiness isn't hard, like on social media. Happiness isn't hard to uh, achieve. It's the fact we want to be happier than other people and we overestimate how happy they actually are, mm. especially when all you see in social media is that positive stuff. We start scrolling on our phone and we're like, fuck, they're so happy. But that's nowhere near an accurate depiction 
of their life. Like you're only seeing the ups. I mean, this is pretty obvious stuff, but like you go through so much downs. You're not going to compare your ups to their downs. You just start thinking, fuck, like you start thinking what your negatives and you're comparing it to their positives. And there's a huge gap there and you almost feel inadequate. And like, it's almost a natural response. So I guess it's, it's one of the two things. It's either the social media landscape needs to change so that that, so it's more realistic and people it's getting better, but people can understand that that's not reality. And then there's also where it's on you. Like you're not going to be able to change the whole social media landscape yourself. So it's about how you interact with it and how you think about it, but also having more conversations with your friends and family. That's the powerful thing because then you know that it's not the reality. You, you've had that, you know, people around you. That's the big, the, probably the biggest thing I've learned in this podcast and getting, having these conversations with so many people, you actually realize one, how much deeper people are, how much more they care about life and everything. But honestly, my perception of people, like I get it so wrong. Like I think someone's like this and they're so much more intricate and more, um, they think about life a lot more than I thought. And it's like, I think people are just, na- are like that. And, but it's just, we think that they're not because of, I don't know, the perception we have. Our perception, we failed to understand, I guess, people and who we actually really are. I think it comes all, like, it can all come back down to, like, the same thing that you learn in primary school. Like, don't judge a book by its cover. People always took that as, like, you know, I guess a negative, like, you, know, like, you don't know what's behind that door. But, like, flip it as, like, same with social media, like, don't judge a book but like by its cover. Like we're seeing people posting, you know, happiest moments of their lives. Dude, I actually saw a really good video recently of this girl going through her like Instagram posts and then explaining like the story behind it. And some of them, you know, genuinely like happy, great things. But then, you know, she was like, you know, 10 minutes before this photo was taken, X, Y, Z happened and this bad thing happened. Mm. And like, I think that, like I really liked it to be honest because it is a reminder like, bad shit happens and we just kind of obviously you don't share that you don't post a photo going like hey guys i don't know like just got fired like (laughs) you you don't and so i think you know don't judge a book by its cover goes both uh sides of the spectrum there Mm. especially with social media Mm. but i think you're bang on like we are starting to kind of realize that it is a highlight reel and there's a lot more behind a person than their instagram page which i think is important we just keep on remembering and talking about because that's the same thing like what you're saying like oh you talk to your mates talk to your um family and stuff so that you know you're all aware like oh it's a highlight reel and this is what is actually going on because imagine if like we based like say like if i was to base you off of like oh i think he's doing well because his podcast is going great and he's got guests and he's talking and rah 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 like Mm -hmm. if you were to judge people based on their instagram profile mental health wouldn't even be a thing (laughs) you know what i mean like Naturally, it's quite a deceiving um, – social media in itself is quite a deceiving platform to have access to. 100%. People's perceptions of me would be so different to what I actually feel about myself. There's actually uh, – it's, it's sort of philosophical, but there's actually no one version of someone. Mm, absolutely. It's all perception, yeah. isn't it? Even within ourselves. Sometimes we almost get caught up believing other people's perception about ourselves. It's – an interesting thought. It is. It's so weird. Um, I guess with the social media thing, though, to finalise that, 
I think I think pretty much everyone realizes it's a highlight reel, but then I think it's that next step where the action, like we can talk about it, but unless people start setting the standard, and I, no, the quote I always use is "Be the change you want to see in the world." So if I'm preaching this, I want to be someone who can set that standard of being vulnerable and showcasing, I guess, the roller coaster of life and embracing the journey. Um, I guess any you got anything else for this? The social media part of it, I think, fairly well covered. You can only say so much until you're just repeating yourself with different words. Mm, it is a bit like that, this whole world. just Basically, just coming up with, I feel like I'm doing so much work in this, but it's basically cu- sometimes just coming up with new ways to say the same thing. Yeah, dead set. Because I guess different words re- like relate to different people in different ways and whatnot. Different explanations make sense. Yeah, so much. Yet it's, it's so... This whole mental health field is so wide but also so simple at the same time like there's so much and everyone individuals going through different things but it all comes down to fundamental aspects of being human you know love relationships purpose meaning of life waking up how to be happy how to feel joy how to be content how to appreciate the simple things like and that i don't know it's just it's so much yet it's comes it's really simple at the same time yeah i think at the end of the day we just need to kind of i think we get so like hyper fixated on like always maintaining like a healthy relationship with ourselves always being you know mentally healthy always being physically healthy always being and sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be like this greatest version of ourselves whether it's to prove a point to like yourself or to others or whatever it might be like we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be like all great and almighty or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, like you just got to ride the wave out sometimes. Mm. Just accept like you can't fix everything and you shouldn't have to either. Like you've got to go through, um, you know, bad mental health phases. You've got to go through falling outs with people or yourself, whatever it is. You've got to go through those bad things to appreciate the good things. And I think we all need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack as well sometimes because mm. that's, what I have noticed, not a toxic trait when it comes to um, mental health with a mix, you know, and social media and stuff. I wouldn't say toxic trait, but it is like a bit of a negative, if you will, is that, you know, you see all these people being like, do this for your, like, do this and be your best self and do like rah, 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 like this, 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 this. But then it's like, okay, well, where are you cutting yourself the slack to have a day in bed? Mm. Where are you cutting yourself the slack to be like, you know what, I actually... I feel like shit today. Like you can't always cover that up with, you know, a walk on the coast or a swim or a coffee with a mate. Like it can help, but sometimes you just got to sit with the uncomfortable position that you're in and just go like, I just, this is it today. Like you can't fix everything all the time. We need to relieve ourselves of that pressure, I think. Mm, And that, that pressure we put on ourselves to feel good creates, it's like a feedback loop, isn't it? Because then you feel guilty for having those natural emotions Mm. and then it just seeps into more negative feelings and then you're like fuck i shouldn't be feeling this way and then you feel shit about it and that just keeps happening i've I've been down that rabbit hole and i've had to really learn self-compassion skills um i guess to wrap it up our new segment is the quote segment um so i don't know if i'll keep doing my quotes because i'm probably going to run out of them but saying that I do listen to a lot of things. So I do get a lot of quotes. But this, I think this is really important. This quote I have is really resonates with the whole thing we're talking about. And it's 
it's from a modern wisdom. I think it's actually Hormozy, but it says you've already achieved goals that you said will make you happy. And I think it's that whole hedonic treadmill that we're on. Like we're constantly chasing more and more, but we've probably already got things that in the past we said would make us happy because I think it's failure, failure, basic failure of memory, basically. Like we just forget what we told ourselves. And I don't think we, how I think about it is if I'm, people talk about the simple things in life, coffee, beach, walks. But I think when we shift our attention from the future to the present, that's when we can really enjoy those simple beauties. It's because we're constantly chasing this, these sort of ego fantasies. Even I occasionally do it. You're thinking of how great you're going to be or what, what, what it's going to mean in X amount of time, but you're basically just shifting your attention away from the present to the future, outsourcing today's happiness for tomorrow's. Yeah, absolutely. Or you're stealing, you're stealing today's joys for tomorrow's happiness. And it's just really not living in the moment. And we talk about living in the moment, but I think that's massive with, I guess with happiness is trying to be as present as you can, because you also ride the roller coaster of life so much more. And I think, there's nothing. It's better to feel. I'd rather feel, and it's probably. I'd rather feel shit, but in the moment, than feel good, but it's based from some fantasy, wishful thinking. Because that's because that's. If we expand the time horizon, I'm probably going to be a lot more happy with that whole journey. But it's because we get so obsessed about the the one moment. Well, like we think we're in one difficult time. We think that's how it's going to be forever. We sort of should put ourselves our lives on a trajectory like oh i'm feeling shit now like is this going to keep happening but if we expand that time horizon that moment it, that negative experience or embracing the difficult times actually ends up being so much more positive for us even in a day-to-day not distracting myself with negative emotions like if i write it out okay the day was actually okay like i had a shit start or something but it actually was a really good day but in, i think just truly embracing the roller coaster of life by being present Absolutely. I think bang on there. Okay. Uh, okay. What, what's, what's your quote? Um, I think, I don't know if this is like a legitimate quote or not, but I think it's just good nonetheless. Um, it's everyone's first time. Everyone's first time here. And we need to cut each other a bit of slack. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Is that, come on, I'm going to write, we'll quote that from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's just something we all need to think about a bit more. It's everyone's first time as a mum. It's everyone's first time as a dad. It's our first time as kids. Students, whatever, you name it, first time. We're all just trying to figure it out. I guess that's where I use that framework for learning. Like for me to learn, it's I guess not making this, like learning from your mistakes and like learning from situations. And that's to me learning. Like you go through an experience and you come out the other side better and your action the next time through that experience is better as a result of going through it. You've learned. That's why how I see learning because it's our first time Instead experiencing it, like, come on, what the fuck actually is this? Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, have to cut ourselves some slack because life throws many obstacles at us. So big time, we're doing well because we're here. Someone said, we've we've already like to this point in life, we've been a hundred percent successful. Yeah, like you're know. alive, like yeah. you've done well. How how many how many fears did you have about your life that didn't come true? Like how many anxiety thoughts did you have that didn't come true? We only focus on like. We only remember the ones that did come true, but so many things that we, that negative thinking, n- none of it actually turned out to be a reality, yeah. but we just forget it. And that's why I guess that 
obsession with the negative things or that's that's the big thing i don't think we reflect enough on how much has actually gone right for us with it's just that negativity bias which to an extent i understand from like an evolutionary perspective like survival was everything so the negative things need to be more prominent in our minds but not living in that world anymore so it's not appropriate to live that way we're ba- yeah we're not it's once again letting the, the past take away today's joy yeah absolutely Bang on. all right well that's i'll wrap that up is got anything else to add no i think that's me i'm, I'm happy with that yeah everyone's first time that's it yeah <laughs> i love that one all right well thanks for coming on and i'm sure we'll get lots out of that one so thank you yeah cheers all right thank you guys i hope you enjoyed that chat I'm so privileged to be able to have these conversations and also go back and listen again. And I always love hearing it back the second time because there's so many little things that I pick up and learn from my guest. It's everyone's first time, as she said. That is a great little reminder and an anchor for people to think about as they go through these struggles. Let's take this pressure off ourselves as we continue to grow and be the best versions of ourselves. I'll see you guys in the next one.